the thing about hospitality and food and everything else like that is don't get into it unless you absolutely love it. Um, and I absolutely love it. And I'm just lucky enough that I'm, I'm in a position um, that I have gorgeous produce that I can cook and, and, and just, just do what I love. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Sustainably farmed free-range pork is something that we come to expect these days, but what does it take to create a lifestyle for the pigs to give them their best life and look after the environment too? For pig farmer Ian Martin, it's just a normal way of life to work with the land, the animals and the natural elements to find a synergy between them all. Ian, how are you? Very well, thanks, Huck. It's good to get you on the show. You're doing some amazing things out there on the farm. Tell us a little bit about the region where you are. Uh, region is South Coast, New South Wales, um, which is a, a gorgeous area. We're located uh, about two and a half, three hours south of Sydney. Um, I've been going to the area for more of the past 25 years and uh, I guess over the last 10 years we've seen a real renaissance in, in terms of um, food and food producers in the area. Uh, I could best describe the area 25 years ago as a, a food desert. Um, I mean, now for us personally, we're 10 minutes from Milton. We've got two hatted restaurants um, in there, which is which is really good. It's good for tourism um, and it's good for what everyone's trying to do down there. Tell us a little bit about sort of why the region's good for uh, farming pigs. Um, well, ironically, we're probably the only – pig farmer in the area, um, really well known for beef and, and that's, we bought the farm about 12 years ago and that's that's where we started. Um, we always wanted to get into pigs but, but pigs are a, a huge commitment. So um, given the fact we, we were absolute novice farmers, we, we took our things slowly to get our head around beef and and then we've moved into, into pigs. Um, I think the area is fantastic because I mean, a lot of people don't realise that pigs actually eat grass um, and the soil we have there, there's an ex-dairy farm, was so uh, for 110 years and has just absolutely gorgeous, healthy soil, um, which is really important for healthy pigs. You mentioned that you were novices when you sort of started. What, what was the reason for the move into, into farming? Okay, so here's the ironic thing. I spent 40 years in hospitality. I had my own catering business in, in Sydney for 17 years and I, I looked at it and said, look, there's, there's got to be an easier life. Um, had enough of employing chefs and waiters and everything else. I'm going to get into farming. And let me tell you, hospitality is a piece of cake compared to, to farming. Well, tell, us, tell us about the sort of beginnings of it all. Do you have any funny stories of the challenges of getting it up and running? Oh, look, um, it's... it's uh, funny. It'll it'll probably be funny in about ten years' time. Um, look, the the mistakes you make, and and you know, there's so many. Um, you know, I'd hate to do a cost analysis of, of what it's taken to to set this farm up. Um, just in terms of fencing, in in terms of um, <laughs> you know the amount of times you, you'd get up in the morning and you'd find a cow or a steer at your backyard. And say, uh, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be somewhere else. And then you're spending the next three or four hours trying to get the herd back to, to where they're supposed to be. 
Um, so yeah, look, it's 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 not an easy gig, um, and it's certainly not something you're going to go into if you're looking for huge financial rewards. You, you mentioned the introduction of pigs. Um, what what sort of impact have they made, and what's the difference in sort of what you do with with introducing pigs to sort of the farm? Okay, look, the the main reason we've always wanted to do pigs is just the versatility of pork. Um, you know, boost a little bit one-dimensional. Um, we do a lot of cure products. We do salamis. Um, on top of that, we're, we're running classes. We do a charcuterie course where we teach people how to make whole, you know, from salami to prosciutto. Um, we run events. Um, so we'll do nose-to-tail type dinners and things like that. It just gives us um, a, a, a lot more options or, or strings in our bow um, to what we want to do. I want to explore particularly the charcuterie in a, in a little while, but it's fascinating that you had a career in hospitality for so long before becoming a farmer. Take us back to when you were sort of really young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Uh, look, it was pretty prominent. Uh, my mum was a great cook um, and I ate very well and, 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 and dad was sort of into um, spit roasts and, and all that sort of thing. I mean, ironically, we, we lived in suburban northern beaches and uh, we had a pool and, and one year Dad decided that he was going to buy a whole lot of trout, um, put them in the pool and grow them out. And he sat there in the boat in the pool fishing for trout. Um, he, he caught them and we ate them for lunch. Uh, just sort of, yeah, uh, things like that. Um, and I guess the story I, I, I tell, look, I was a, uh, you know, wasn't the greatest scholar in the world and I... I finished my HSC and I, I remember uh, in those days you'd, you'd get letters of offer and they weren't exactly pouring in, but I got two and and one was to go to the Ride Catering College and the other one was to do a Bachelor of Commerce at, um, I think it was uh, UTS or somewhere like that. And I said to my mum, because I had no idea, I just wanted to go play football and row surfboats, and I said to my mum, what do you think I should do? She goes, oh, dear, you'd love cooking. Go and do cooking. And I've always said to my mother, I had this one chance to be a stockbroker and drive a fast car or work weekends and work in sweaty kitchens and you sent me to the kitchen. <laughs> so that's where I ended up. Well, in those early years, what were the sort of important sort of people or venues that you you worked with as you built your career in hospitality? Oh, look, I, I, was, I was sort of lucky. I mean, I worked predominantly northern beaches. I was... Uh, Baron Joey House was one place. Um, my wife's also a chef, and I met her what is now Peelu. That was the Freshwater restaurant back then. Uh, Cottage Point Inn was another place. Um, we went overseas and worked in London for a little while. Um, so, yeah, we had some, yeah, we're lucky enough to work in some pretty good places. You, um, you mentioned the catering company that you had for quite some time. What, what's some of the highlights of uh, and big events that you did over the years? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, we'd had the business three months and someone came and knocked on the door and said, oh, we've got this really big fundraising dinner we'd like you to do. Because we'd, we'd stuck this ad in Gourmet because we thought it'd be nice if we were in Gourmet. And... Uh, they came in and said, oh, you know, we can do that easily, no problem. It ended up being a, a sit-down uh, fundraising dinner um, for the current uh, Prime Minister, who was John Howard, um, and they didn't know we'd only been in business three months. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but we were lucky enough, we traded over the, the uh, Olympics. Um, I was running the um, Function Centre at Customs House down at Circular Quay at the time, and we picked up s- some really good gigs there. Um, we were a reception centre for all current and ex-Olympians. Um, so, yeah, picked up a lot of good gigs during the Olympics. The industry has uh, evolved incredibly over the last couple of decades, and, you know, the last couple of years have been quite challenging. What's some of the biggest changes and shifts that you've seen in the sector over your time in it? Uh, look, one of the reasons I, I got out, because um, at the end of the day, in the corporate market, which was flooded with caterers, you were always just a price taker. Um, and it came down to price and everything else like that. Um, and what I've seen that, you know, one of the benefits to come out of COVID is that now, um, you know, the good caterers are charging what they should be charging and the good caterers can actually make a decent dollar. Was it difficult for you to make that transition from the hospitality sector into farming? Um, oh, look, I transitioned uh, at, at 52 years of age. I went and did my butchery apprenticeship, which was a, a challenge in itself. Um, so there was I back at Granville TAFE with the 16 to 18 year olds doing my butchery apprenticeship. Um, but I look, I, I, I loved every minute of it. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to work in some good places in terms of butchers and, and learn what I wanted to do. Um, so no, look, I, I, I wouldn't say it was hard. Um, the, the farming is just such a, a dynamic gig. You're always learning. You're always doing something. Um, it's it's yeah, really exciting. The butchery part is is fascinating to know. Having you know been in the hospitality sector and butchering and and farming, do, do you remember the first time you broke down a whole pig and sort of the important elements of that? Oh, absolutely. We, we, it was empowering. It's um, and I think, especially, I don't think chefs understand enough about butchery, um, what muscles they can use, um, and especially in you know this day and age, especially in restaurants with tight margins and things like that. I think it's essential that chefs understand all the different muscles within an animal and the option uh, opportunities um, for whole animal butchery. These days, you're running the farm and. Um what, what's, what does it take to run a sort of sustainable farm that looks after the beast and the environment? Um, what's some of the challenges that you face? Oh, the challenge is um, making money. Um, look, it's, I mean, just having pigs is challenging in itself. Pigs are super intelligent. Um, pigs will, will challenge fencing, will, will um, do that. You, you, you're battling the elements. I mean, we're in Conjola, we... Three years ago, I got bashed up by bushfires, and six weeks later, we got the worst flood we've ever had. Um, so you're always battling the elements. In, in, in terms of pigs, the management um, of your pasture is really important. If you leave pigs in pastures for too long, they will destroy it. Um, and what we're about is you've got to rotate your, your pastures. You've, you've got to Because what you want is you want the animals rooting around and eating the bugs and eating the grass and everything else, but when they've done that, you've got to take them off and, and let the, the ground come back, um, and that's really important. Give us a sense of what life is like on the farm for the pigs. What, what sort of environment do they grow up in? Um, look, all the, we have five different breeds of pigs. All of them are... Um, out, uh, for outdoor, like you can't take a white pig and put it outdoors. Um, and we try and create an environment. As I said, pigs are really, really intelligent. 
They, they need uh, stimulus. They need to be able to root around. They need to be able to get away from each other. Um, they need to be able to go and make a wallow when it's hot. Um, so they need space. Um, they're very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a pecking order. You put pigs together and, and they quickly sort out who's the boss and who's not. Um, so you've got to give them space to move away. And that's one of the challenges with you know indoor uh, piggeries. They don't have that challenge and they get stressed. Um, you've got to keep pigs busy. You mentioned uh, five breeds of pigs there. What are they and why have you chosen those? Um, look, when I started farming, we, we started at the, the front end, not the back end. So we knew what we wanted to do in terms of the products that we wanted to put out. Um, and we needed to work out how to get there. Um, so we want to make charcuterie products. We want to um, have butcher's cuts and, and things like that. And each particular um, breed we have throws different characteristics. So we can take those characteristics and say, look, they're our charcuterie pigs and, and everything else. Um, so the five pigs we've got, we've got um, Hampshire's, Durocks, Berkshire's, Black Pig, and a pig called a Tokyo X, which is a Japanese-type breed. Now, each of those different breeds throws different characteristics. Like the Hampshire's a really well-muscled um, pig, great for hams. The Duroc has a, has a really long loin, makes great bacon. Berkshire, obviously, high-fat content, great for charcuterie. Um, is a bit slower growing than the other pigs, but by slower growing means they've got more flavour. Um, the black pig is a, is a really meaty pig, similar to steak, um, and really good pig for dry ageing. Um, and the Tokyo X, uh, which is a combination of Duroc, Berkshire, and, and a, a pig called a, a beige black, um, throws really similar characteristics to Wagyu, really intramuscular fat. You mentioned that you, you started with the front end, like knowing sort of what product you wanted to deliver. Tell us a little bit about the diet of each breed and have you had to alter it for that end sort of product uh look yeah absolutely not so much um the breed we alter the feed depending on uh where they what stage they are in their life um and we we supplement we have a, a basic feed which we've designed which is a pellet barley based and uh our food is different from most farmers because we are trying to lay fat now, most of your supermarket pigs lay, you know, six to eight millimetres of fat. And a lot of butchers, if you go over that, they won't touch the meat. We want a, a fat content of 10 to 12. Um, we want to produce a fattier pig. And, and our fat is a lot healthier than other pigs because of what they eat, because of the natural ingredients they eat. Um, so we have a, a basic pellet that we have designed for our pigs. Now, on top of that, we supplement feed. Uh, we get whey from the local cheese maker. Um, we get uh, a whole heap of spent barley from the, the local brewer. Um, obviously, lots of bread. From We have two bakeries. We pick up uh, lots of sourdough. Uh, and then we have the, the local greenhouse who gives us all the veggies that they can't sell. You mentioned the charcuterie. Um, tell us a little bit about that and, and what you're making. Okay, so what we, I mean, obviously we nose to tail. We get whole animals. We need to use the whole body. Um, so we will make, uh, you know, guanciale from the cheek. We'll make copper cola from the neck. Uh, we make three types of bacon. We make pancetta. Um, we make three different types of salamis. 
um, and we cure prosciutto. Wow. Well, is there, is there any particular sort of favourites? And can you tell us sort of, you know, how, how to make it? Um, look, there's two um, processes we're talking about here. One is curing, which is basically the addition of salt to a muscle. And what we're doing is we're drawing moisture out. Um, it's a very old technique, and basically Captain Cook would not have discovered Australia without curing because he bought salted beef with him, and that's what they lived on. Um, that's the basic process is we're putting salt on something. In some instances, we are doing a lot more, such as bacon. In some instances, such as prosciutto, we do very little, and salt's the only additive. Uh, the other process we have is a fermented meat, which is salami, and that is the addition of bacteria to actually create a fermentation. And we run the class, and I, I, I say in the class that if I was to take some mincemeat and put it on the kitchen table and leave it for 24 hours at 25 degrees and come back the following day and say we're going to eat it, you would say I'm crazy. But that is the process of, of making salami. Tell us a little bit about these courses because people can get involved and, and learn the art of charcuterie. What, what do they get out of these courses? Look, uh, just, if I can just step back from that a second, one of the things we really want to do is engage with people in what we're doing and have them come to the farm and look at what we're doing and understand how we process our pigs and, and what we do. Now, the course we run, which is, is really incredibly popular, um, we take a whole pig and it's usually a, an older sow probably dressing out about 120, 140 kilos. So we're talking a fairly big pig. Um, and basically we, we follow traditional Italian, what happened 500 years ago in the local village. And, and what would happen is they're coming into winter, they need meat for winter, they've got no refrigeration, so they process a pig um, and they preserve it. And that's what we do. We start, we butcher the whole pig, we break it down into muscles and primal cuts. Um, and then we make everything head to tail from um, head cheese all the way through to prosciutto. What sort of benefit would sort of a young chef have, you know, by doing one of these courses with you? Um, look, here we have an understanding of the different muscles and we talk about, you know, the cooking techniques. We talk about the challenge in choosing a muscle um, and there's, there's this contradiction between tenderness and flavour. And you can't have them both. And you need to decide which one you want because the more tender a muscle is, the less flavour it has. The more flavour it has, the less tender it is. So you've got to you know, you choose the correct cooking method um, for which muscles. So we basically break it down and we talk about um, the three basic primals on a pig, shoulder, loin and leg. What are the options for each one? And from there, look, we make fresh sausages and then we basically do a whole lot of curing from bacon to capicola um, and we make salami. That sort of discussion is fascinating about choosing the line of tenderness or flavour. Is there, is there a cut, you know, that sort of exemplifies either uh, both of those and the best way to cook it? You know, one that's, you know, leans on that tenderness and the best way to cook is a particular cut and... Perhaps the flavour. Ah, oh, look, the, the, the classic is a long fillet, which for me I I wouldn't eat, tender as, but absolutely no flavour. Um, my, my personal favourite <clears throat> is the neck, which if we're talking about a, a steer would be the scotch fillet. And I think there's a nice combination of flavour and tenderness there. Um, but as, as you move your way through... Um, 
stakes such as the skirt or the flank, I think, are really interesting because, uh, number one, the fibre, the texture of the meat is really good. Um, but again, there's a really nice combination of flavour and tenderness if, if it's cooked right. You know, with so many different breeds and your expertise with cookery, do, do, do they eat differently, the different breeds that you're creating? Uh, not necessarily the breeds, but uh, as I said, during certain phases of their life, we will feed them a lot more. Um, it, I guess if we're looking, say we've got a Berkshire sow that we're saying, okay, um, this is going to go for charcuterie, um, they will get the bread and everything that's going to lay really nice back fat because that's what you're looking for in your, in your pigs for um, charcuterie. Um, if you're looking at uh, butcher's cuts, not so much fat, you're looking for flavour. So we'll try and put them on interesting pasture where we're going to get some dynamic meat. After decades in the hospitality sector, what sort of impact has running a farm and being out on the farm had on you? Um, I don't have to employ chefs and waiters. Sorry, that's and that's a positive thing. <laughs> um, look, it's it's a totally different lifestyle. Um, it's it's a really different uh, headspace to working in a kitchen. You know, in in a kitchen, you've got deadlines, you've got service, you've got um, you know, you, you get up in the morning on a farm and you think you're going to do these things, and your day just goes in a totally opposite direction. And you lose time. And, you know, I laugh. People will say, look, how about you come around for dinner at such and such time and we're always late or there's always something happened um, because you just can't be time dependent when you're on a farm. Where, where does your product go to and, you know, how can people get access to it? Okay, so we uh, people can come to the farm. We have a little shop they can buy direct. Um, we attend a number of farmers' markets. We go to Marie down at Sage. We go to the Berry Farmers' Market. Uh, there's a market at Lake Burrell that we go to. Um, we have a number of retail outlets in the local area, um, Milton Farm Shop, uh, the Pantry down at uh, Maruya, uh, the Pines at Kayama, uh, all stock our products. Um, and online, we have people, we sell pork packs and beef packs and things like that that people can buy. And if it's close, we're going to deliver locally. Well, what's the best sort of eating experience you've had with your pork? Um, I look. Uh, I should say, my son has joined the the business, and, and he works um, full time as a butcher, uh, and he makes the most gorgeous pork headers um, that we enjoy eating. What's the secret to a great pork header? Um, fresh spices that go in it, um, but at the end of the day, bloody good pork. <laughs> what, what's 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 changed about your life with? sort of moving to the farm and creating this unique farm with both cattle and pigs. Um, has it changed you? Um, yeah, look, definitely. I mean, I grew up in Northern Beaches in Sydney and moving down there, it's a more simplistic lifestyle. Um, I guess it, it, it makes you focus on, um, you know, what is important. Um, there's probably a little less stimuli on the farm than there is in the city which for me is a positive thing. Some people may not think that way. Um, and I just find it extremely rewarding. We've had a few people on the show that have thrown in sort of their careers and dived into into pig farming and um, and enjoyed all the experiences of that. What sort of advice would you have for someone that might be looking to sort of create a small farm like you have? Um, 
have the expectation that things are going to go wrong because they will. Um, do not set yourself deadlines. It will happen when it happens. You've had this most extraordinary sort of change from hospitality into butchery and, and farming. What, what do you love about what you do? Um, I can still, uh, I mean, I still cook and do dinners and things that I can, I'm in a position now that I can pick and choose the sort of things that I want to do. If I want to do a nice dinner party, I'll put a nice dinner party on and, and, and do that. If I want to run a charcuterie course, I will do that. Um, you know, the thing about hospitality and food and everything else like that is don't get into it unless you absolutely love it. Um, and I absolutely love it. And I'm just lucky enough that I'm, I'm in a position um, that I have gorgeous produce that I can cook and, and, and just just do what I love. Well, Ian, it's amazing what you're doing. It's an honour to have you on The Crackling today to hear a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Will do. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Huck. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.